Oh, it's so good to look out. It makes me feel like we might actually get back to being together at some point. This is such a wonderful vision from this angle of vision. I also want to just say thanks uh, to folks who are joining us remotely. This is our service that we live stream each week. And uh, just this morning, I heard from folks in Asheville, in St. Louis. Um, where else? Uh, England and China. Uh, people who are joining us remotely and so many others. And we've been forced to this, right? Uh, it's one of the gifts. And so we're able to participate a little bit more fully to get a little bit more of a glimpse of what that banquet will be like when we are finally gathered around the Lord's table, when we see each other with unmasked faces and see the Lord face to face. I don't know about you, but uh, this restraint that we've been living under that Goody mentioned has just increased my hunger all the more for full fellowship with Christ and with you all. Um, I think my work here is almost done because, David, I think I heard C.S. Lewis in your... Uh... <laughs> I'm just saying, I think the baton has been passed or something. So. The text this morning is from John chapter 14. Just a small paragraph that, like every paragraph, is laden. Verses 15 to 21. Listen to God's word. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also shall live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I just don't know what I could possibly say that would be adequate as a means of expressing my gratitude to you all and the many who have gone before you. In 1985, you welcomed a very young and flawed man to serve alongside Ed Henniger as Blacknell's first associate pastor. And now, almost 36 years later, I am standing in this pulpit for the last time as one of your pastors. How can I say thank you? We'll get this out of the way. <laughs> for encouraging me, for trying to listen to me, 
for honoring my call, as you have, even when we were at odds with one another, for receiving my wife and my children, and for not holding them accountable for my weaknesses and shortcomings, for not asking that they be some super spiritual alien. Believe me, pastoral ministry is a whole family venture. Betsy and the kids have been encouraging of their dads, even when they have been the victims of too many sermon illustrations. And they have withstood that mostly with goodwill. So at the risk of embarrassing them one last time, thank you, family. And that is all I can say to you, my church family. Thank you. I've been so privileged to be one of your pastors in service to the triune God and to this place. It's a gift that today is Pentecost. The day the church marks the giving of the Holy Spirit to the followers of Jesus, people like you and me. That event is most fully described in Acts chapter 2, as most of you know. But here in John 14 and elsewhere, Jesus is trying to help the disciples prepare for what is ahead and to take heart. Although these next days will be the most trying of his and their lives, there is no reason to panic, he says, and here is why. If you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commandments. Of course, we all need to be reminded, don't we? that love must show up in actions or else that claim to love is rightly called into question. No marriage, for example, will thrive if a spouse claims to love the other but is regularly harsh or unfeeling or selfish or worse. So with each of us who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, of course, the difference here between marriage and discipleship is that the Lord has every right to command us, and we are obliged to obey. But in this case, remember that the one who commands is perfect love itself. His love is expressed in acts of sacrificial service supremely on the cross. And we love him however imperfectly in return, demonstrated in our embrace of his commands. But this is not just an act of our wills. I was an enthusiastic convert in university, but after a year or so, my enthusiasm had waned a little bit and my willpower was not nearly so constant as I, in hindsight, would have desired. It was then that I recognized a deficit in my life as a Christian. I was in need of help. Through conversation with a friend, I realized that the Lord had not invited me into a relationship with himself only to have me run aground on the rocks of my own weaknesses. I began to recognize a similar pattern in the original 12 disciples, especially in Peter and James and John, the sons of thunder. The antidote is the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit who encountered those disciples 
when their native gifts were not sufficient to the call or when they were afraid for their lives. It was the Holy Spirit who strengthened their flagging wills, who convicted and taught and equipped them with a love that delighted to obey and a courage that compelled them to proclaim the presence of the Messiah. Jesus tells them as much here in in chapter 14. The Father will give you another counselor to be with you forever, who is the spirit of truth. It is the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in the lives of believers that enables us to stay the course, even when we might otherwise give up in the face of our failure or inconstancy or to give in to fear and doubt. The Lord anticipated all of these challenges that we face, and it is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God, living within every believer, providing us what we need, especially when we come to the the end of our own abilities, when we come to the end of our own native intelligence, our own native gifts. Sometimes it takes coming to the end of those things before we can recognize in our deepest possible way that we do need a Savior. That's the first thing, but there's more. The Holy Spirit's presence is the antidote to our fear that we are on our own. Who hasn't wondered this in our lowest moments when God feels distant or seems impossible to understand, especially in these days when we're told by every poll that that our culture's sense of the need for God is diminishing. When circumstances conspire to bring us to our knees in doubt, we need to know that we are not alone. Take these words to heart. I will not leave you as orphans, says Jesus, I will come to you. You see, it is the Holy Spirit's work to mediate the presence of Jesus to us. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit will will live within you and be with you forever. Do you want an eyewitness account of what this looks like? Let me make a suggestion. Read Paul's letters, which are the most honest correspondence in the history of the universe, Read Paul's letters, but looking just for one thing. Look for how often Paul credits the Holy Spirit with guiding him, helping him, directing him, correcting him, encouraging him, ministering to him in his points of despair and weakness. You'll be amazed to find frequent and profound references to the Holy Spirit's work at the crucial junctions of Paul's life and work And as a result, you might be given eyes to see the Spirit's similar work in your own life as Christ's would-be follower. But then there is one more in this text, one more aspect to the work of the Holy Spirit that is the most remarkable of all. At the end of the paragraph, Jesus says, on that day, that is with the giving of the Holy Spirit, you will realize that I am in my Father and that you are in me 
and that I am in you. This is extraordinary. I am in my Father. You are in me. And I am in you. You see, it is the Holy Spirit's primary work to serve not just as a coach or a companion. It is much more profound than that, even if deeply mysterious to every one of us. The Holy Spirit actually unites you to Christ. You see, the Christian life is not simply a matter of believing certain things. It's not simply a matter of acting in the certain ways. Of course, those things matter. But the heart of the Christian life is union. Union with God and through him, union with one another. You see, at the heart of the Christian life is the sharing of restored relationships. Forgiven reborn, new creations in union with God. And this happens because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the bond of love between the Father and the Son. And the Holy Spirit is the bond of love between Jesus Christ and you. So that we might share in that most beautiful relationship that exists between the Father and the Son. Jesus has already said earlier in chapter 14 that he is the way to the Father. The Apostle Paul talks about being in Christ more than 160 times in his letters. This is the dominant way that believers ought to understand what it means to be a Christian. This is the work of the Spirit of God to help us cry out, Christ in me, the hope of glory. And indeed, he is our hope. He in us and us in him. It is this union that Jesus found so compelling that he could speak of little else in these urgent last hours with his disciples. Because he knew what was coming. He knew their need for hope. Because he knew their world was about to come crashing down around their shoulders. As it does for all of us. He said, I am telling you now before it happens so that you won't be surprised. But understand what is on offer here. To be in Christ to have him take up residence in us by the Holy Spirit. This is the only path to a hope that can survive even the grave. It is hope, a hope that is anchored not in our own optimism, not in the strength of our own wills or the circumstances that we may happen to enjoy in life. It is a hope that is anchored in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that provides us with a confidence in a future that has already been won for us so that we may then freely acknowledge in light of that confidence our own fears and disappointments 
so that we might confess our doubts and suspicions and temptations, lay them before him because we know that he will not turn away from us. We can actually bring him, bring them to the physician of our souls so that we might be healed. Because Jesus Christ has taken on this world at its worst and he has vanquished it. So if we are in him and he is in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, then we too are the beneficiaries of his victory. For nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is this hope that is anchored in the reality of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that allows us then, perhaps ironically, to most fully enter into the pain of this broken world in a way that refuses, on the one hand, to romanticize it by thinking that it can be fixed by some new government policy or an educational approach or a lottery ticket. And it also refuses, on the other hand, to give in to despair. And of course, there is a danger that attaches to this deeper and stronger vision of hope because the deeper and stronger that hope for new creation is, so much greater is the longing, the desire that accompanies it. I think a lot of us are afraid to long because we fear that there is actually in the end no answer to our longing. That Nietzsche was right, that all there is is grabbing what we can in the moment and holding on. But that is not hope. Dare we desire for something more? Dare we embrace the hope that has been given to us in Jesus Christ? Because the greater the longing, the desire for that new heaven and new earth, the longing for a deeper connection, for a deeper change, the longing for healing and restoration, the greater the risk of hope. Friends, my conviction over all of these years with you in our life together is that our life together, however imperfect, is a signpost of just that hope. Of course, there's no earthly configuration that can complete that longing because we were made for more. Something signaled but not satisfied in the very best of human relationships. But not the best friendship or marriage, not the best social entity, not the best church. These are all provisional. The Holy Spirit is nevertheless secretly growing a seed of hope, sprouting up in surprising ways with a foretaste of new creation in the craziest places, providing daily assurance that The longing is not in vain. That the future has been won for us in Jesus Christ. And it is only the Holy Spirit, only in the Holy Spirit, that longing can find its redemptive end, which is joy. 
to be a Christian, to have declared your loyalty to Jesus Christ as Lord, to be a member of Blacknell Presbyterian Church, is to take up your post, to be stationed in the borderlands of longing, in that liminal space between despair and hope, between death and life, between hell and heaven. It is to bear witness in your words and in your way of life to the one who in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension has already traversed that dangerous ground and whose spirit lives within you together so that you in turn might be a welcome home to the increasing number of those in our world who do not know where home is. May the Lord give you faith in the face of fear, hope that swallows despair, a love that knows joy is its birthright and its end. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, O Lord, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage.